Growing up a star athlete in Pittsburgh, Jim Kelly was an All-State standout, excelling in football and basketball. In 1986, he signed with the Buffalo Bills and led them to four consecutive Super Bowl appearances and five divisional championships from 1989 through 1995. With Jim as their starting quarterback, Buffalo made the playoffs in eight of 11 seasons. Kelly goes back to throw, looks downfield, wants to go long. Off the field, Jim and his wife, Jill, appeared to be living a storybook life, and their family began to grow. Firstborn Erin was followed shortly by her sister, Cameron. Everything seemed to be picture perfect for the Kelly family, but not even the toughest of football games or challenges could have prepared them for what followed next. In 1997, Jim and his wife Jill had a son named Hunter that was born with a degenerative disorder of the nervous system. For the next eight years, the Kellys watched Hunter battle that disease until he ultimately passed away in 2005. In the years to follow, Jim was diagnosed two separate times with oral cancer as well as an infection in his bones. By God's grace, he battled through all of his ailments and today is cancer free. Now, his oldest daughter, Erin, along with her mother, Jill, has told the family story of love and hope in the New York Times bestseller, Kelly Tough, chronicling their journey through tragedy. And to introduce them today, here's a special message. Hey there, this is Jim Kelly, and uh, I want to first of all say thank you so very, very much for all your prayers the last couple of years. I definitely appreciate it. I know that my daughter Erin and my wife Jill are going to be speaking with you today. I know you're going to have a lot more fun than you had with me a couple years ago. Take care of yourself. God bless you, and uh, enjoy today. Please welcome Erin and Jill Kelly. Great to have you guys with us. Isn't that great hearing from Jim? It was a surprise, nice surprise for you guys. Yes, yeah, yes. awesome, good. <laughs> Aaron, camo, great to have you here. Yeah, it's camo, <laughs> yeah. Great to have you here, Jill. Great to have you back. You guys, uh, you and Jim here. were here in February 2011. So now, you know, this is like home to you, coming yes. back again. So yes. a big welcome to all of you that are here for our, uh, our WOW weekend. And also a huge welcome to everybody at our regional campuses at DeKalb and uh, Blackberry and Bartlett. Would you say hi to yes. those that are regionals? Hi. All right, go Bills. Great. Go Bills, yeah. <laughs> you know, this year with the Bears, go Bills, you know. Yeah. Uh, so great to have you guys here. I have read your book, Kelly Tough, and it is one great read. Congratulations on, um, you know, on its success, but more importantly, thank you so much for just sharing your journey with us and the ability to get a window into how God has worked in and through you uh, during the course of so many things happening in your lives. And the book talks has got tons of stories. I encourage you guys to pick it up. Um, we're just going to be able to touch on a few of those, but that's what we're going to be covering uh, today. So let's start with Jim that we just saw and, uh, and football. So Aaron, let me start with you. What was it like? You've probably had this question a bazillion times, but we all want to know, inquiry minds want to know, what was it like growing up with a uh, NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback as a dad? 
Well, I definitely grew up in a football household. I felt like I learned to throw the football when I could walk. When I started walking, <laughs> I was throwing the football and outside in the backyard with him. And so I grew up in this very football household. But um, a lot of people have asked me, what's it like growing up with a Hall of Fame quarterback? But for me, growing up, I just saw him as my dad because as a little girl, I didn't see all the fame and the football and the Hall of Fame status and all of that. But as I started to get older, I started to realize that a lot of people looked up to him, not only for what he did on the field, but what he did off the field as well. And so as I get older, I saw that, that quarterback and how he was Kelly Tough through his football career and even more so now and to see how the, all the accolades. But back then, he, he was just my dad and he still is just my dad now, but I see him more. Um, I'm able to see all that he did back then and what an impact he had. That's great. So just dad, but pretty, pretty cool dad at that. So, and Jill, give us a window. What, what's it like being the wife of an NFL quarterback? Give us a window into, into that. Well, as you can imagine, I mean, certainly there it has its ups and downs. Um, we, God is not a God of statistics because we probably wouldn't be together if we were a part of those statistics. Um, just, you know, being married to an NFL quarterback and then everything that goes along with that, as you can imagine, and then having a, a sick child. And so we've been through a lot. Our mm -hmm. marriage has taken a huge hit, but God is greater than all of those things. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just amazed at how God has shown us so much through um, all the things that you think are the most important things in life and then realizing that those things are completely empty. But it has been a blessing, and I'm just amazed at what God has done in our lives. And oh, that's incredible. Yes. We just went through a, a series here at Christ Community on, on Job, and I look at your story mm. as one of kind of a modern-day Job family and to see how God works through. look forward to hearing more uh, from you in a little bit. But um, sticking, sticking to football, and by the way, if, if you don't know much about, you're not a football fan, don't know much about uh, Jim Kelly. He led the Buffalo Bills to four consecutive uh, Super Bowls. We won't talk about the victories, but he, he led them to four consecutive Super Bowls. Um, he was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in uh, 2002, first ballot, which is quite an honor. In fact, you skipped the Foot Pro Football Hall of Fame to be with us this weekend. Way to go. Thank you. Give him a hand for that. Huh? Yeah, that's pretty cool. And Jim was there. I saw him, saw him on TV yes. watching a little bit uh, last night. And then his number 12 is the only number that's been retired by the Buffalo Bills as well. So we got quite a stud quarterback that we're, uh, we're <laughs> talking about here. But let's do a little NFL uh, name game association from a, from a female perspective. So I'm going to give you a name, and then either of you or both of you give me a, a little bit of uh, information, a couple of sentences about somebody. So the first one is Bruce Smith. Now, he was a teammate of Jim's. He's a Hall of Famer as well, and he's the NFL record holder for quarterback sacks. So tell us a little bit about Bruce. <laughs> well, the first thing I think of is when in the Bills Stadium and Ralph Wilson Stadium, whenever Bruce comes home, everyone yells, Bruce, and to the crowd, it sounds like they're like, saying boo, yeah. and the other team probably thinks we're booing, but we're not. It's just Bruce, <laughs> and we welcome him home. And Bruce, when I do announcements, they go, Eric. That's what <laughs> right, they do exactly. when I, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Not exactly the same thing. Not really at all. Um, 
Um, but Bruce and Andre and Thurman, they've all been like another father figure to me growing up, just being mm. around the football atmosphere and having them be our Bills family. And so they're very close to us and we love them. And they really surrounded our family when my dad was going through cancer and everything. So we're very thankful. We've had a chance to follow follow you on the on, in media and, and read different stories and to see how that Bills family has come alongside mm -hmm. you is, and is fantastic. Bruce, too. I was just thinking about him when he was in the hospital. He came to visit Jim in New York City when he was in New York for uh, treatment, and he wanted to have his own time with the doctor to understand and have the doctor explain everything to him. He did that in Buffalo as well. Mm -hmm. So they're a very, very close group of guys. And Bruce is just a big teddy bear. He's a massive human being, but uh, <laughs> and he can play the game, clearly. Uh, uh, great Fantastic. Man. All right, good. Another one. Uh, Don Beebe happens to be a, a friend of mine, a teammate of Jim, someone that's a friend of Christ Community at our Fuel event uh, last year, and he lives here in the area. Don, tell us about Don. Don, the problem I have with Don is that he was a Green Bay Packer. I, you know, I knew I liked it's you, so, Jill. so, like, weird. I knew I liked you, Jill. And he went to yeah. the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, and because and, he was, you know, once a bill, always a bill kind of thing. We kind of take ownership of our <laughs> players. But ultimately, his family, amazing family. Mm -hmm. And he is a godly man and has prayed for us, prayed over us, prayed with us, just... Um, can't say enough about Don Beebe and his entire family. That's but I, I just, I try to not think about the Green Bay Packer part. <laughs> we all do. Yeah, yeah, we all do. it's weird. And I know Jim liked his speed. He could just kind of throw it as far oh, as he could. And Don fast. would get there. And then one more, uh, current Bills coach, former Jets coach, son of 1986 Bears defensive coordinator, Buddy Ryan. We're talking about Rex Ryan. Do you guys know Rex as the new Bills coach? Yes, we do. Rex. We're so excited about Rex. <laughs> So we are. excited. Plus, we haven't been to the playoffs in like 15 years, so we're hoping that he actually helps take us there. And we've met him. When you get there, let us know what it's like, okay? Right. Yes, yeah, well, we, we will let you know. We'll yeah, we don't know back. either. We'll so. talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but he's all in. Rex is, Rex is the real deal. And any, you know, opportunity we've had to spend some time with him, he is, he knows Buffalo in the sense that it's a, almost as if he's always been there. Mm -hmm. He is a blue-collar guy but yet has this pizzazz and passion for the community, for the people, you know, we love him. Mm, that's yeah. That's great. That's great. Good. Now, um, Aaron, you also, not only did, did your dad play sports, but read in the book that uh, you were an athlete as well. So tell us, were you, were you into football because your dad was? Did you have to be a Bills fan? Did you play football yourself? Maybe an <laughs> offensive lineman or something? Like, tell us. Actually, tell the us, quarterback. The no. quarterback. But, okay, uh, yeah. I definitely grew up in an athletic household. I played basketball and softball growing up in middle school and high school and just really fell in love with sports. And I guess that comes with the territory. But um, And I grew up a Bills fan, which a lot of people have asked me, did you have to be a Bills fan because your dad and everything? But I really feel like I just grew up with it in my blood. And I chose to be a Bills fan. I love being a Bills fan. I'll be a diehard for life, but um, just I grew up in that, and it, it helps make me who I am because this athletic, um, it has taught me to be tough and be courageous, and I've learned so much more than just sports, through mm -hmm. sports, and mm -hmm. that's something that my dad taught me along the way growing up. Very cool. Did you have to be number 12? I did. Yeah? I did have to be number 12. <laughs> Although once I started being number 12, I wanted to keep being number 12. Okay. And then it was like if someone were to take it, I'm like, no, that's my number. So <laughs> I had to kind of steal it back. But, yes, uh, number 12. That's great. Now, we've already mentioned a couple of times Kelly Tuff, and that's the, 
the, the title of the book. Uh, Jill, tell us what, from your perspective as, as the mom, what is Kelly Tough? Like, well, what, is that, what does that actually mean? Is it just a sports thing? Is it more than sports? Tell us what Kelly Tough means. Well, ultimately, Kelly Tough is what we just sang about in mm. that last song. It's finding our strength in God alone mm. and that Christ is it. And, you know, we can, we can be as strong and mighty as we think we can be in our own strength, but it, we'll eventually get to the end of that. We get to the end of ourselves eventually, and God is um, sovereign and mighty in all things. But, so that's the ultimate picture of Kelly Tough. It's not about us. It's not about the Kelly family. It's really about finding your strength and hope in Christ alone. But growing up, Jim was raised in a family of six boys, and he could not eat his lunch until he was out there throwing enough passes in the backyard. I mean, he worked his tail yeah. off wow. while he grew up, and they had a, he had an incredible work ethic, and that you never give up, that you give more than um, is expected of you. And so he brought that into being a father. And, you know, he's a father of three children, one boy and two girls, and it was... <laughs> And, you know, girls need a little more TLC, and it was like, no, you're fine, get up, all the time. It was like, no, she's really not fine, like, we have to, like, do something. But uh, so they learned to be physically tough and mentally tough, because it's not just about being physical tough. Jim was very mentally tough on the, um, on the playing field, yeah, and, yeah, and so sure. he taught that and instilled that in our children. But, you know, ultimately, you know, Jesus Christ being... Um, you know, our strength and weakness. And we found that and discovered that through our son Hunter's suffering, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And he was the epitome of Kelly mm -hmm. Tuff. Um, he was unable to do anything in and of himself, talk, walk, smile, swallow, um, breathe on his own. And yet he radiated a strength and courage and bravery that is unmatched oh, as far great. as I'm concerned. We're gonna hear so, more about Hunter yeah. in a minute. Let me read a quote here uh, about uh, Kelly Tuff from, from their book. Being Kelly Tough means you always do more than what's expected of you, to go the extra mile when you're exhausted, to give up, or to give, not to give up, that would not be Kelly <laughs> That's Tough. That's not in there. Yeah, that, to give and to keep giving when you feel like you can't give anymore, to play through the pain, to go above and beyond, to help out without being told, to be the first one to pick up the slack and to help a brother or sister in need. Walking in these disciplines demands commitment and determination, a willingness to act alone based upon what is right, honorable, and true, rather than the pressure of peers or the crush of circumstances and culture. That's pretty powerful. That's, uh, that's great. I, I and you can't do that in your strength, own you're, strength. You're right. You can't, you cannot do that apart from Christ. You're so. right. You're right. Well, let's turn to Hunter because you guys are quite the, 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 the sports family. Kelly Tough, as you, as you just mentioned, but so much more than sports. And so you, uh, you finally did have a son, and then he was, uh, he was born and ended up developing a disease. Tell us about that, that diagnosis and, and what it meant to your family. Well, Aaron was our firstborn, and Jim wanted Aaron to be a boy. <laughs> yes, and you know this. It's you probably would have been Eric if you'd been <laughs> right, born. Exactly. You know, maybe, yeah. And Jim actually named all of our children. I, I don't know how I let him get away with that, but I love the name Aaron. So. <laughs> but our second child, um, we decided we weren't going to find out for our second child. We were going to wait until the child was born. We found out that we were having a daughter when I was pregnant with Aaron, and then you know, I, I'm, my second time around, it was just like, okay, we're going to wait. And then I went to a doctor's appointment and Jim was unable to come with me. And it was one of those doctor's appointments where they do the sonogram and the doctor, you know, women, what I'm talking about. <laughs> she says, well, do you want to know 
And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I ruined that secret for myself. But, and I found out that we were having a son. And this is in the midst of Jim retiring from the NFL, retiring from the game that he lived and breathed, that, that was all that he knew. In fact, you know, you say number 12, he still signs their cards, number 12 with a heart, you know? It's like, this number has like a birthday defined card? this man. Oh, yes. Really? Yes. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's, it's adorable. Um, but he is this man, you know, this man, this number. And so um, I know that we're going to have a son. And Jim retires from the Buffalo Bills and from the NFL. And mind you, you know, he could still play. It wasn't that he can still play now, for crying out loud. Even after all that he's been through, he can whirl it in the air 75 yards. Wow. Maybe not 75 yards. <laughs> um, anyway, and I, but I knew that we were having a son. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I could tell him. And it would ease the pain of the retirement. But I kept the secret. And on Valentine's Day, which is Jim's birthday, um, only God could have written that script, our son was born. And wow. you would have thought, wow. Jim, I mean, because he comes from a family of six boys and he's all fully testosterone, there's like nothing feminine about him. <laughs> but, you know, he wanted, this boy was going to be the protege, protege son. This boy was going to fulfill all of his father's dreams and continue the legacy of a a stellar athlete and all of those things. And so you would have thought he won all four Super Bowls. You would have thought he won five more when his son was born. He was ecstatic. And we brought Hunter home to meet his older sister. And, of course, she was thrilled. And everything was wonderful. It was almost a perfect scenario. And soon after we brought Hunter home, though, he started to get very irritable and and just unconsolable. And I was nursing him, and so I was on the phone with the pediatrician. I thought, well, maybe he has colic, and why don't we try different formulas? And so we were going back and forth and back and forth, and he continued to be very, very irritable. And eventually, it was on a well visit, which moms and dads, you know, well visit, you expect to go in, you get the measurements and weight and some shots yeah, and all the normal those stuff, sort of the yeah. normal stuff, and that's what we expected. It was this three-month appointment, and we went in, and the pediatrician very you know nonchalantly really was looking at him and, and and turns around and says to Jim and I she says you know he's showing signs of cerebral palsy and we're like wow. wait wow. a minute wow. what we're here for a well visit um but you know we were shocked and devastated and I remember sitting in the back seat with Hunter and just you know so shocked that they told us that and what are we going to do and then we were flooded with all this information because there's so much that you can do for children with CP and Mind you, he's three months old. I mean, he's tiny. And everything been and normal to that point. Yeah, yeah. well, not yeah. really. I mean, things were not normal right away, but we didn't think anything could be okay. seriously wrong. And um, even worse than that, you know, he continued to get worse and have um, seizures. But they, you know, we were calling the pediatrician and said, oh, you know, sometimes when you fall asleep, you jolt yourself awake. And they're not seizures, and they end up actually being seizures. And it also took him over an hour to drink an ounce of formula. So... You know, a mother's intuition is a gift from God, and I knew something was wrong. My mom knew something was wrong. Speaking of my mom, I forgot to introduce my mom. Where is she? My mom is here. There she is. Grammy. <laughs> she's amazing. She She's amazing. In fact, all right, I'm going on a segue, but I know you all can follow me, even though it's early. At one point in time, Aaron said to me, Mom, I hope you, you know, this doesn't make you feel bad, but I love Grammy as much as I love you. So. <laughs> but I get it. So anyway, um, we talked to the pediatrician enough, and they eventually sent us to a neurologist. And our, you know, a parent's worst nightmare became a reality in our lives. When Hunter was four months old, we were, you know, brought in, we did some blood work, and then we came into the doctor's office after the results came back. And 
She said, your son has been diagnosed with Crab A leukodystrophy, and there is no cure, no treatment, and he will probably not live to see his second birthday. And wow. at that point in time, as I mentioned, it, it take, took him over an hour just to drink an ounce of formula. She said, we can put a feeding tube in for him if that's what you choose to do. Um, and of course, we're like, we're going to do whatever we possibly can for Hunter. And so we did. And, and you know, receiving a diagnosis like that is, it, I mean, emotionally, mentally, physically, it just wrecks your entire life. And that's exactly what it did. Wow. Wow. Um, and he ended up living not just the two years, but you, God did give you some extra years. Right? Oh, yeah. He lived to be eight and a half. And that okay. is only, and God tells us in his word that he numbers our days and, and our hairs and our heads. <laughs> but, um, and yeah, I mean, that was all God. Wow. Wow. Yes. Um, now, Aaron, you're only two when your brother was diagnosed, but as you write in your book, you know, you had to do some caretaking of him, and there's some real tear-jerking tear uh, stories that you share, but you, you talk about how this love and kind of the love of God just emanated from him. Describe that a little bit, how he couldn't, he couldn't talk, he couldn't share with you, so how, how were you able to, to understand this, this love that came from him? It's really hard to describe unless you knew Hunter, unless you were in his presence. But anytime we were with him and anytime you were in front of him, he just radiated Jesus by just being him. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm reminded, looking at Hunter and being reminded of all that he went through and just how he, the love of Jesus just poured out of him, that that's how I want to be. Just being me, just being who I am, I want people to see Jesus in me because that's what people saw in Hunter. And we wouldn't be who we are today. We wouldn't be sitting here talking with you and just sharing our story if it weren't for Hunter because it was through Hunter's suffering that we realized the suffering of Jesus Christ and all that he did for us, but the love that just poured out of him. And, and although he was never able to speak, we taught Hunter to blink three times to say, I love you. And so those are just special moments that I'll never forget. And that although he was never able to speak a word and not able to give us a, a real hug, like we would hug each other, but he just emanated Jesus Christ. And I... I will never forget those moments of just being with him and knowing that this is Jesus' love that's just pouring wow. out of him. Wow. I want to read another quote, something that you wrote here, uh, Aaron, about, uh, about Hunter. Um, I've never met anyone else who could spread joy like my brother, and he did it without being able to crack a smile, speak a word, or reach out to hug me. And it wasn't just joy he radiated, but love. Hunter was never able to say the words, I love you, but I knew he did. Uh, not because he was my brother or because he could blink three times, which meant I love you, but because the love of God flowed out of him, as you just shared. So, so well written. <clears throat> um, if you want to find out more about Hunter's disease and, and uh, what's going on uh, with uh, uh, all of the developments in uh, finding a cure, go to Hunter's Hope. Org. In fact, uh, there's a, a book table that, uh, that uh, Aaron and Jill have, and not only is uh, Kelly Tuff at the book table after the service in all of our, our lobbies, but uh, there's also several other books that Jill has written. All the proceeds go to uh, the Hunter'sHope.org uh, fund. So, Now, uh, as you just mentioned, Aaron, uh, Jill, it was because of what Hunter um, you know, brought to your family that you started on a faith journey uh, yourself. And uh, tell us, you know, how did that get started? What, what did that look like, you know, just trying to figure out who God was and where Hunter was going? And what did, what did that look like for you? 
Well, as I mentioned, that diagnosis, and obviously I remember that day as if it were yesterday, and sitting across from the doctor and having her tell me these things, and Jim was to my left, and I remember in those moments, and I'm just, you know, going to be honest with you, I, I was thinking to myself, and I didn't verbally say this, but this is Jim Kelly's son. <laughs> you know, the celebrity quarterback guy, Jim Kelly, we have money, we have his status, we have connection, we can go anywhere, and there's got to be something for Hunter. You see, because at that point in time, that's where my foundation was. Those were the uh, pillars of my hope, so to speak. You know, the worldly things. And, you know, when I look back on that and when I share it now, I'm so thankful. I'm really thankful that that was my hope because in an instant it was gone. And so I had no hope. I was, I was devastated. I was hopeless. I was, I was desperate. I was like, oh, my goodness, all these things that we had put up. My, why aren't they, you know, and Jim wasn't going to save the day. You know, he wasn't going to put on the superhero cape and save the day. He could do nothing. There was no cure, no, no treatment, nothing that we could do. And I, I just, I'm so thankful that God had allowed me to experience that all of those things are empty because we all chase after something. That's right. I mean, we all That's do. Right. We all chase after something in this life. And, you know, God is gracious and, and merciful enough to let us go after those things because at the end of those things, he's still there. Mm -hmm. And he was still there for me in that moment. Yeah, yeah. He was watching this all transpire. He knew he knit Hunter in my womb, and he knew exactly how it was going to go down. And he, was, he knew that he was going to be the answer to all of our hopes. And, you know, but for me, I was in this, you know, desperate place, and I'm like, wait a minute. I was raised Catholic, so I, I know that there's a Jesus. I, I've never even considered heaven or hell, never even, you know, understood that I was accountable to an amazing God and didn't know that I could have a relationship with him. So, so I'm just like, oh, my goodness, you know, what about this Jesus and, and what about this heaven? I know that there's a heaven out there, and if Hunter's going and riding zebras and whatever, I'm going to go. I'm his mom, right? I want to ride zebras with him too in heaven. I don't know if we're going to ride zebras in Where heaven. Where did you but get the riding I have no idea. <laughs> really, honestly, I'm like, you know, I don't know what heaven's about, but yeah. I know that it's something Everybody knows greater. they're elephants. So, yeah. Well, elephants, yeah. yeah. Horses for sure. Horses. Okay. I do know there's horses. Um, you know, but, but this is me. I'm, I'm incredible. I'm in this selfish place, but we all come to God hmm. for selfish reasons. I mean, hmm. we do. We want something. Yeah. And, uh, and I love, there's a, you know, there's a verse, and I, I can't remember what gospel it is, but that's the first thing Jesus, I think it's in the gospel of John, the first thing G, out of Jesus' mouth in the gospel of John is, what do you want? Mm -hmm. yeah. Because we come to him with selfish motives, because we can't come to him with selfless motives. Yeah. We aren't selfless until his life dwells in us, and so I'm, I'm looking for heaven. Yeah. I want heaven, Hunter's going there, I want heaven, and God... Once again, because he's merciful and gracious and kind and loving, he sends his warriors. And he sent my Uncle Mark, who is a believer, to our house. He brought his, he didn't just bring his Bible. He brought his concordance and CDs and DVDs. He was a Jesus freak, a full-on Jesus freak. I was like, what is so great about Jesus? I did not get that. I was just like, oh, my goodness. But the thing is, you know, yes, he brought the word of God. Yes, he opened it, and he would read verses to us and just bring hope through the light of God's word. But at the same time, he was joy. When he walked in, and this guy, I'm telling you, he, was a, he had so much joy. 
And we were so desperate. I just, I wanted what he had. If it was Jesus, okay. You know, I didn't understand, though, you know, in those moments. I was so desperate. I didn't understand that I was separated from God because of my sin. I didn't understand that I needed to repent and and ask God to forgive me. Yeah. We'll get get back to that that in a minute. But I want to mention (laughs) something because there are many of you that are just totally connecting with what Jill is sharing here. You know, you have relied on the things of the western suburbs of Chicago. You've relied on status and money and homes and cars and, you know, whatever else it is that we're supposed to rely on. And for many of you, you found that that's not enough. And you find situations in your life that have come crashing down. And they've found a hope in Christ. And want to give you that opportunity a little bit later here to find that hope yourself. Because some of you recognize uh, this morning that you, you need that hope. You need that because the foundation that the world tells us is not enough whatsoever. Well, let's get to, um, we'll come back to your story in just, uh, just a minute. But uh, Aaron, I um, want to talk about your dad and his um, you know, second diagnosis with cancer. When, when you guys were here a few years ago, Jim was healthy and doing well. And, uh, but then um, you know, a little bit after your time with us, uh, your dad was diagnosed with a second bout of cancer. Tell us about what that diagnosis was and how did that, how did that hit you? What were your emotions as, as you found out about that? Well, the first diagnosis, I was going into my freshman year of college and ending my senior year in high school and just that whole transition was hard enough. And then to have cancer come into the picture, it really took a toll on me and a toll on our family. And But in my mind, I knew that he was going to get surgery and that the portion in his jaw where the cancer was would just be removed. And in my mind, I would never have to hear the word cancer again. And um, he was in a lot of pain. And almost exactly a year later, we found out that he was diagnosed with cancer again. And I'll never forget the moment when we found out. My mom and I were actually on a study tour trip with Liberty University where I go to college, and we were in the streets of Jerusalem walking just with our group, and my mom got a call from my Uncle Dan, who's my dad's brother, saying that the cancer had returned and that it was aggressive and that we were going to have to face it aggressively and do things um, quickly so that it doesn't spread. And I just remember being scared in that moment and not knowing what to do because I was thousands and thousands of miles away from my dad. But in that moment, I learned and God showed me that in the midst of being thousands of miles away from my earthly father, I had to rely more on my heavenly father. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we did was rely on God in the midst of it. And I knew that I had to go back to school. I had to go back to being a student. And so that was hard too, knowing that I I couldn't be with him every single moment. And, um, it was really hard, especially because we knew how much pain he was in. We could just see it in his eyes and to know that I couldn't do anything to help him. But God completely used that to draw me closer to him and say, okay, I need you to rely on me in the midst of it. That doesn't mean that it was easy. It was, it was extremely hard, the entire process of, you know, his diagnosis and then finding out that he had to do chemo and radiation and not knowing what that would look like for him and the process and the toll it took on his body. It, it took a toll on our entire family as well. Yeah. And mm. although it brought us closer to God, it really challenged our faith a lot. Wow, wow. Now, we've heard Kelly Tuff a lot, and we know that Jim's kind of the epitome of Kelly Tuff. But Jill, tell us what, what stands out to you about his battle then with cancer and, you know, who, his character and who he was. What stands out to you about his, his, uh, his struggle? 
Well, you know, there were quite a few moments where we were just so in awe. I, you know, one moment in particular that stands out just as you're, you asked that, I'm thinking when he had to do an interview in the hotel room because we were, he was at the hospital in New York City for six weeks, and so we were back and forth to the hotel, or I was back and forth to the hotel room, but we ended up doing these interviews, um, and out of his mouth, he just said, um, you know, they were talking about the cancer with him, and he's like, you know, I'm not afraid to die. And Aaron and I were sitting there in the room, and we were just like, well, you know, we, di we didn't want him to say that. We don't want him to think that. We don't want that to be the outcome. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was a tremendous encouragement, like his confidence in who he is in Christ and his confidence in that he knows where he's going and that he knows that God has made a way for him through Christ and the cross and the resurrection. And I mean, it's just like, it's so it was kind of like hear. this bittersweet yeah. moment yeah. and we both were bawling and we're just like, whoa. And, and so that it was like an encouragement to me to see the confidence that Jim had and mm. the decision that he himself had made to walk with Jesus. And, you know, the journey itself was a test of faith big time because I'll be honest with you, uh, you know, I thought everything that we had been through with Hunter, and this is, you know, just my honest thinking like that the shoe both shoes dropped and that you know yeah yep. you know okay we've had enough <laughs> and and then the cancer comes and then it comes back and it was it was just a really uh, a, a deep deeper walk with God in the midst of my struggle of faith and fear and continuing to fall back and into his word knowing that he is who he says he is in this book and that he is the word of God and and so it was it was that wrestling of faith but unless we wrestle with our faith unless our faith is tested it, how can it be proved genuine you know sure, I want yeah. my faith to be as real as the nose on my face and so um you know I'm thankful for that and at the same time it was incredibly difficult to watch a man who you know, was the toughest, you know, player in the toughest quarterback, excuse me, in the NFL. In yeah. the NFL. And to see him just dwindle, you know, daily to a very, very weak person. But yet in the midst of that, see the power of God radiate through his and life. Strength, yeah. And yeah. Um, Aaron, what about you? What, what stands out about your dad's, your dad's battle? Well, we've said many times that he's not the same person that he was before cancer. And I don't think any of us are the same. Our entire family has just been changed and our faith has been strengthened. Yes, it has been tested, but it has been strengthened as well. But one of the things that God really taught me through my dad's battle with cancer was um, I was just really struggling with asking God why. And Lord, I don't understand why you're allowing this to happen to my family That's and why normal. we've gone yeah. through so much and yeah. for this other thing that might, I could lose the most important man in my life and my dad might not be able to walk me down the aisle someday. So I had to wrestle with those thoughts in my head a lot. And um, I was reading in the book of Daniel and I was reminded of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego how they said, you know, we aren't going to bow down to you. We believe that our God is going to save us, mm -hmm. but even if he mm -hmm. doesn't, we still won't. Mm -hmm. And in my circumstance, my thought was, okay, I don't know what the outcome is, is going to be, but Lord, I believe that you can save my father. I believe that you can heal him, but even if you don't, I still believe that you're good. Mm. And I had to wrestle back and forth with that, believing that God is good even if, and I believe that in any of our circumstances, whatever the case may be, that we have to ask God that. Yeah, we have to yeah. come before God and say, okay, regardless of this situation, I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. I believe yeah. that you're, you're still sovereign and you're still good. That doesn't mean that the circumstances get better or that they're not still mm -hmm. hard. They are. But to believe 
that God is good in the midst of it. God, God taught you an incredible lesson. So, Jill, I have to ask you because uh, many of us saw on you know different media networks that uh, all of a sudden there's Jill in her wedding dress in the hospital. So tell us yes. a little bit more. What was behind that? Insanity. <laughs> no. We were in the hospital and that night, and we were on our way home, and the next day was going to be our anniversary. And I just, I don't, it had to be a God thing, because, you know, stuff that's outside the box most of the time is. And, and so I just said to the girls, I said, I'm going to wear my wedding dress to the, to, to the hospital tomorrow. And they're like, what? Does it fit you? (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, nice, nice, beautiful, caring girls. Um, But so we got home and I'm I'm looking all over for it. And I ended up finding one piece of my original dress, which was this like tool skirt thing. And and I did it. And, you know, I, I believe during this experience that God tried to help us to see that the moment to be in the moment to actually live in the moment and let him take care of the next moment and the following moment and the next week and the next month and to to embrace exactly the life that he's given us at that time and so that's what we did and that's why I did it that's fun and um and we did we were and that was another thing too as far as social media is concerned we had private accounts initially Instagram and um I believe that God, you know, opened our eyes to the value of sharing things about our story that were very intimate. And obviously we didn't share everything, but we we were very mindful and prayerful about what we decided to share um, with the world because we wanted to encourage, you know, we don't don't necessarily want to bring people into our pain, but we want to encourage them in their own pain. This wasn't necessarily about our walk, although it was our walk. We wanted to encourage people and... We believe that God has allowed us to do that. Yeah, he sure so. has. He sure has. And, and Aaron, you've been in some respects a, a mouthpiece for your family. Just want to say, you know, uh, thank you so much for the boldness and the strength that you've shown in so many different media outlets and just uh, not only standing up for your family and giving us a window into what you're going through, giving us as Christians an opportunity to pray for you, but also to, uh, to an entire world show, showing what strength in Christ uh, looks like. But there was one in particular, you did an interview on Father's Day with uh, Chris Berman from ESPN that I think was on ABC as well, and you've done a whole bunch of different interviews. But that one in particular, because of his persona, tell us, you know, what was, uh, what was your goal kind of going into that interview, and how did you feel after it was all said and done? Well, what most people don't know about that interview was that it was shot in the hospital where my dad was in Buffalo, New York, and he had come back from New York City to get his final treatments in New York, which completely changed everything to be back in Buffalo. But um, he came, Chris Berman came to the hospital, and we made it look like it was not in the hospital for an interview. And we just sat down and talked, and I remember just going into that interview knowing that I might not have my father this next Father's Day, so to make this Mm. one count. And... um, just going into that, you know, I went from my father's bedside in the hospital to doing an interview to going back to sitting with him and talking to him and just being with him. And um, just my my motivation in that and sharing and in all the interviews that I've done, my motivation in sharing is to share the hope that we have because ultimately our struggle is one thing, but everyone has their own struggle. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going through their own story, story, their own circumstance. And so for our 
pain to be used by God in such a way that other people can be encouraged. And that was my hope and my motivation in that is that, you know, the girls and the boys who have a father who this Father's Day, they don't have their dad with them or they're going through this and they might not have their dad either next Father's Day. So in that moment, I wanted to give them hope too to say, you know, that there's hope in Christ in the midst of this. And although it's not easy, that God is carrying us through it. Oh, fantastic, Amen. fantastic. As we start to bring our time to a close, Jill, I want to go back to, um, you know, what began as a journey of faith, um, you know, through Hunter's uh, diagnosis and, and his life to a, to a time where you finally said, okay, I understand what, what Jesus did for me. And, and you put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior. Tell us about that moment, that tipping point. What led you to that, to that place of finally, you know, giving your life to Christ? You know, I think it was when I put a fish on my truck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that is kidding. the ultimate. Those are at the table, too. You can buy That's those That's the ticket there. right there, yeah. putting that fish on the truck. Definitely keeps you accountable on the road, though. Um, and I, I remember we, I would remind Jim. I will answer your question, by the way. Okay, I, remi I would remind Jim, like, we have a fish on the truck. You know, like, don't forget. Um, <laughs> Anyway. I don't have one because of my driving, so you know, yeah. I, yeah. 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 Uh, so here's my Uncle Mark that I mentioned. He comes over with the Word of God. He takes me to the book of Job early on, and, you know, who does that? <laughs> I'm sad enough. And he brings me to the book of Job, which ends up being my most favorite book in mm. the Bible. Because Wonder why. Yeah. I learned yeah. very early on that God is sovereign. Mm. Mm. He's God. And yes, there is an enemy, but that the enemy has to go before a holy, righteous, perfect, loving, kind, merciful, gracious God, mm. and that nothing is ever going to touch my life, Aaron's life, Hunter's life, Jim's life, your life, your life. Nothing is going to touch our lives unless it is first father filtered. Mm. Mm. And though in the book of Job, God never you know, explains to Job why, Job was able to ask why. Job was able to get down and dirty with God and just be real. And so I learned that very early on in my walk. My Uncle Mark didn't lead us through a prayer of salvation or anything like that. Eventually, he, basically what he did is he brought Jesus, his joy, and he brought the word of God and ministered to us in that way. And then eventually I was with my aunt and uncle in Florida um, with Aaron. <laughs> she was little and she was to my left. And mind you, I'm, I'm raised Catholic at this point in time and and. You know, I'm just a complete wreck and desperate for hope, and I don't understand all of, you know, who this Jesus is and that, you know, I am a sinner in need of, to be saved by grace. And I, I know it's something, but I don't understand the fullness of it. And I'm so thankful that God didn't dump my sin on me in that one sitting because I'd be, not be here. <laughs> I could not survive that. Yeah. And that he, through his word, has revealed to me how gracious he has been to me and that and my need has always been him. And he is the fulfillment of every need that I have. And, and so, but I'm in this moment and I'm a wreck and I'm bawling and I'm just like, I don't know what this Jesus stuff is. I, I want him. I don't know what that even means. And, and so my aunt and uncle um, laid hands on me and I was like, what is that? <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> okay, but I'm crying and I'm like, uh, you know, I'm a typical woman analyzing everything that's going on and she's to my left and they lay hands on me and they say, why don't you just repeat after us? And, and, and I did and I don't remember exactly the words that I pray, but I know that that was the moment that mm -hmm. um, I surrendered all that I knew to surrender mm -hmm. to God and that I received him by faith into my life. And 
it was a defining moment. And like I said, after that, everything changed. Everything we went changed, from treating yeah. Hunter like he was dying to treating him and actually living ourselves. I didn't realize that I was the dead one, <laughs> that yeah, I was a walking wow. dead person, that I had been separated um, from God because of my sin. And it, and it was really Hunter's suffering that led us to the suffering of Christ, um, which changes all of our suffering. Yeah. We have a place to go now with our suffering um, because of what Jesus has done for us. And and I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. And even as I'm sharing with you now, I'm encouraged by what God has done mm -hmm. in our lives. Um, well, if you look at Hunter's life, look, look at the fruits of, of Hunter's life. Yes. You know, it's unbelievable. And some of you may be here and going, wow, you know, I, I, I need this Jesus that she's talking about. And how do I cry out to him? And I, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, uh, to maybe pray the same type of prayer that she did in, in just a little bit. But Aaron, what about you? You were, you were a young girl. Tell us about you know, when you put your faith in Christ. And then, you know, if there are some people that are here today that have never really surrendered, doesn't matter if they've come from a Baptist or Catholic background or been here at Christ Community their whole lives, if they've never surrendered their life to Christ, tell them, uh, maybe share, you know, what, what they can do to, uh, to begin a relationship with Christ. Well, when I was very young, after my mom and my grandmother had both given their life to Christ, I, although I was little and um, it was the age, I was at the age of five when I gave my life to Christ, and although I didn't realize what that meant fully in that moment, I knew that I wanted what they had. Mm -hmm. And I saw my mom and my grandma just radiating Jesus, this Jesus that I didn't really know about, but I wanted that. I wanted mm -hmm. the joy and the life that filled our home. And so I was with my grandma and my brother Hunter when I gave my life to Christ. And then after that, I just started seeking hard after God and just getting in his word and listening to worship and um, just wanting to know more about him. And so I just began living my life for Christ and seeking after him and still to this day continuing to long for more of him. Mm -hmm. um, but the one thing about salvation that really hits me, and when I think about people who don't know Jesus or have not given their lives to Christ yet, the one thing that I want them to know and the one hope that I have is that there's freedom in the cross. Mm. That you can come to the cross just as you are with all your baggage and all your worries and doubts and fears and you can just lay them at the cross. And that's exactly what we do when we come to the cross. We come just as we are because he takes us just as we are in the midst of our sin and all that, the baggage that we carry, he takes it and he lifts it off of us and we are free in that. And I just remember just a quick story that my dad, after he got saved and he gave his life to Christ, one of the things he said was he felt like the weight of a piano was just lifted off of him. Wow. And that wow. was the visual he gave us, that he just felt free and that he felt like he had freedom in Christ now. Mm. And that's the beautiful thing about the cross is that we don't have to be a certain someone or a certain something in order to come to him. Mm. And uh, it, oftentimes it is the people that you would think, okay, those people can't come near Jesus, that Jesus was like, come to me, mm. come to me. I mm. want you to come to me. And so I just find freedom and hope in that. Mm. So exciting to hear, you know, the freedom that each of these um, you know, ladies found in, in Christ in the midst of some incredible suffering, you know, more than any of us could probably even imagine. And, and what I want to do now is to, to give you uh, an opportunity uh, to put your faith and trust in Christ if you haven't done so. And just a quick, quick summary of what they just said, and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. You know, the, the reality is, is they found the gospel. And the gospel, by definition, means good news. It's good news. That's what the term gospel means. But, you see, there isn't good news unless you recognize the bad news. And the bad news 
is what Jill had mentioned earlier, that, you know, that we're, we're all sinners. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. See, he's a perfect creature. And we can't have, he can't have anybody with sin, you know, in, in his presence. And our sin, it separates us from God. The things that we do that are wrong, that we all recognize, the things that we know we should do that we don't do. You know, there's sins of commission and sins of omission. But the good news is that God, in his love, in his mercy, in his grace, he sent a sacrifice. He sent Jesus, a perfect person, to this earth. And when he died on the cross, when he died there, the Bible says that he took the burden, the weight of all of our sins. That's unimaginable. All of our sins. Because the wages of our sins is eternal death. But the gift of God is life through Jesus Christ. And on that cross, when Jesus died, he took that burden. And Jesus' life, and then resurrected life, is a gift for us. And just as Jill and Aaron did, they accepted the gift. And that's all we have to do. That's all you have to do, is to accept this gift of Jesus as Savior and Lord and King of your, of, of your life. Give him the steering wheel of your life and say, God, I don't, want to be in, I don't want to be in control anymore. I want you to have my life. And there isn't a magic prayer in scripture that if you turn and just read these words, it's all a matter of the heart. But uh, just as was mentioned about a prayer, I want to lead us in a prayer. And it's going to talk about the, the principles that I just mentioned. So I'm going to say a prayer, a phrase at a time, and then give you the opportunity at all of our campuses just to pause and to repeat it in your heart and have the opportunity to have your moment right here while weekend in August 2015 to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Christ. Would you bow with me, please? And as every head is bowed, let me lead us in a prayer. Repeat these in your heart after me, a phrase at a time. God, I recognize this morning that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I recognize that out of your grace and love and mercy, you sent Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin. I want to turn over my heart to you to be my Savior, Lord, and King. I want to give you the steering wheel of my life. I want to be a child of God. God, I recognize that because of this prayer, not only will I be able to be in heaven with you for all eternity, but I ask that you give me more purpose and peace and direction in this life as well. Thank you, God, for the gift of Jesus. I accept him now into my life. As we keep our, our heads bowed and eyes closed, the Bible says that when one person gives their life to Christ, there's thousands of angels that rejoice in heaven. And right now I know that there are angels rejoicing because of the decisions and the prayers that were made 
across all of our campuses. It's a heart decision, an internal decision, but we've found around here that it's really helpful to make an outward stand that just says, yes, that is what I just did. Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And so what what I'm going to ask you to do here in just a moment is just to, if you just prayed that prayer, is just to briefly stand up for a second and sit down. It's just an outward sign of what you just did. Just kind of solidify the decision to say, yeah, that was in my heart. And now I'm willing to stand up and to say, yes, Jesus, my life is yours. So right now across all of our campuses with, with heads bowed, if you made that decision for Christ, just real quickly stand up and sit down as that outward sign of the decision you just made. Go ahead and do that now across all of our campuses. All right, a few more seconds. In St. Charles here, many, many people standing and sitting down. Bartlett, DeKalb, Blackberry, go ahead and stand. Anyone else? God, you, uh, you know the hearts that are transformed this morning because of the power of your gospel. I pray now that you help each of these people to take next steps in understanding what it means to grow, to have a walk of faith in their relationship with you. Thank you for the miracle upon miracles that occurred at our campuses because of the story of the Kellys and more importantly, because of your love for them. We praise you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we call the Christian walk just that, a walk of faith. And for many of you, you took a first step. And we want to help you take some next steps in that walk with faith. And we're going to tell you about that in just a minute at each of our campuses. But before we do that, uh, we have to give a huge round of applause and show of gratitude to uh, Jill and Aaron for being with us today. Give them a hand. Again, I encourage you to head to the tables, pick up some of their books uh, in the back there. Uh, What we're going to do now is, uh, here in St. Charles, we're going to close. uh, In fact, actually, before we do that in St. Charles, let me, I want to pray for them. Let me pray for them, because they've got a tremendous ministry, tremendous uh, uh, blessing that they have to to meet with and to talk to thousands of people, and I think it's important for us to bless them. So would you uh, join me in prayer for them? Lord, I just want to lift up the Kellys to you right now, and uh, I ask that you just really bless them, give them anointing, give them protection, allow them to to find the right media outlets to share. I pray a blessing on this book. Uh, Father, I pray that you would just allow them to to be bold old and to be strong and continue to be unashamed of what's going on in their hearts and lives as a result of the power of the gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.